The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we are going to check in on a bunch of baseball's notable prospects playing in the winter leagues because there are several of the top prospects in the game, as well as several players who could have big league roles as early as opening day and maybe using this as an opportunity to really help bolster their case and get some momentum going into camp as how guys like Marco Luciano and Orelvis Martinez perform in the Winter Leagues is going to be very important for their case to either break camp or get a role at the big league level early in the season and get that call up. A little bit different for each of those guys. I think Luciano, it's kind of his job to lose, but I think with the way he's playing, and we'll dive into that in a moment, uh, the Giants may be a bit more eager to go get a stopgap for at least this upcoming season with the way Luciano's kind of looked out there so far. So I will be talking about him, but also just a handful of prospects who may not have a 2024 ETA when it comes to reaching the big leagues, but have shown some great things. And there's just so many different prospects that just love to continue to play baseball out there, especially the Latin players. If it's close to home, they go get those additional reps. But it's always fun to check in and see how they're doing, see where they're playing defensively, see if I can pick up on anything they may be specifically working on and just see what's standing out so far as a lot of times, especially in the Dominican Winter League and that Lydum, it's it's difficult to hit out there. So some good power output, some interesting batted ball data can always be something exciting to apply going into next year year. I figured we'd start with two of the biggest fish and two of the best prospects in baseball. That's Junior Caminero, who checks in at number two on just baseball's top 100 list. And then Jackson Chorio, who ironically checks in at number three on just baseball's top 100 list. Starting with Junior Caminero with the Rays, 
he has just been awesome so far in the Winter League. And I mean, the guy's just been awesome everywhere. He has stopped pretty much as a professional, right? We go back to last year, which was his big time breakout season. We talked about him as a breakout prospect going into the year, and I did not think that he would break out to that degree, right? Revisiting what he did last year, 324, 384, 591 slash line between high A and double A, and then even earned that big league cameo, making the jump up from double A when the Wander Franco stuff started to happen. And they didn't really have that many options on the left side the infield Curtis Mead was struggling and a little bit banged up so he makes that leap and he plays seven games for them down the stretch and then is even on the postseason roster but overall in the year 976 OPS in the minor leagues 31 home runs between high A and double A as a 19 year old for the majority of the season it's been more of the same in the Dominican Winter League for Camonero in 21 games slashing 333 362, 575 with five homers making an all-star appearance there as well. And it's just remarkable because it's it's a tough place to hit. And there's a lot of good pitchers out there, whether it's, you know, established, just veteran type of players, former big leaguers, guys that are trying to work their way back, whatever it may be. On top of the environment, the ball doesn't really carry. It's it's a lot of big outfields where you see players just see their power, usually take a hit from an output perspective. It's been fun to see him battle out there as well in terms of grinding out at bats a bit more, not being overly, overly aggressive. While he hasn't drawn the walks that you'd like to see, uh, that probably will be an important aspect of his game going into the big leagues because, of course, he's not going to be able to maintain a 324 batting average at the highest level. There is some at least semblance of swing and miss there. It's it's more of a average hit tool. So you, you want to see him draw some walks. But when I watch now, I mean, you kind of see the zones are a bit bigger. He doesn't want to leave it into the umpire's hands. And he's really out there to go get his hacks in. I don't think he's formed any bad habits and honestly some of the battles that I've watched where he's getting to pitches that maybe are a ball or two off that again he doesn't want to really leave it up to the umpires and fouling them off and spoiling and spoiling and working some counts it's been fun to watch that and there was a specific at bat that I saw against Neftali Feliz and this kind of goes back to the original point of you never know who you're going to face out there it's a lot of established guys mixed in with you know high upside or intriguing guys as well Feliz still throws fuzz by the way and I know he's potentially trying to get back into the fold here with a big league ball club and heck man the stuff looks like he probably can this one specific at bat he threw the entire kitchen sink at junior Caminero. it was a slider for a called strike at 80 then he takes a 94 mile an hour fastball for a ball takes another ball that was a slider a good pitch that he lays off on and then it was just a battle 94 fouled off Pitcher's pitch slider at 83, fouled off. 95, taken for a ball. 94, fouled off. And then he spits on a really good slider at 79 for ball four and works the walk. But it was cool to see a guy that still has, I think, high leverage reliever stuff. I'm interested to see you know, where Neftali Feliz looks to continue his career, but there was some impressive pitch recognition and just overall comfort against really good stuff there. And that's the thing that's really stood out to me. And I think something that he's been focused on out there in the Dominican Winter League is really just getting more comfortable at recognizing breaking balls, being able to stay on them, maybe not spinning off of it as much. And he has the power to all fields when he's going right. I mean, he maintains his direction really well. And we know Caminero has some of the best raw power in the minor leagues, a 90th percentile exit velocity 
velocity of 110 miles an hour and just ridiculous pop foul pole to foul pole. But sometimes, you know, he'll try to do a little bit too much, get that A swing really going, and he'll leave with the front side. And I think that started to affect him a little bit more against higher quality breaking balls, specifically hard sliders, which did give him relative trouble. And I say relative because you have a guy that hit roughly 350 with an OPS over 1,000 against fastballs, put up really good numbers against changeups as well, OPS over 1,000 there, and then had an OPS in these high 700s, low 800s against sliders. But as you started to look at some of the better competition, the better sliders he saw, and you look at some of the underlying data, that is something that is worth monitoring, a little bit higher of an in-zone whiff rate, sometimes just taking those spinny swings, as I like to call them, where the front side kind of leaves off of a pitch that you need to really maintain your direction through to be able to hit the ball with authority. And the path allows him to do that. He enters the zone early and stays there for a long time. That's why he's able to drive the ball with carry to all fields and even catch the ball pretty deep and drive it in the air with backspin to right field. But when you have the body kind of taking you out of there from time to time, that can affect your ability to, of course, be able to drive higher quality and just bigger breaking, bigger sweeping types of pitches, specifically that sweepy slider, I think is something that he's going to see a lot of at the big league level. So it's been good to see him continuing to use the whole field, have that pitch recognition, continue to develop that. And I think that's why he's out there to get those additional at-bats. On top of that, I think continuing to work on the defense too. What I did find interesting is even with the Wander Franco kind of questions, obviously from a legal standpoint and whether he's going to be available at all next season, or beyond, he has not really played much shortstop at all for Escojido out there in the Lydum. I I do think part of that is the fact that they have a 32-year-old veteran, and and veteran in that league specifically, but veteran in general at shortstop in Eric Gonzalez, 32-year-old, who's been playing out there for a little bit, and obviously he's just been playing the game for a little bit and a little bit more of a true shortstop. And the the key thing with that I think that people kind of miss here is this isn't the Arizona Fall League, right? This isn't even the Australian League. It's important to win out there. If you don't perform, they'll cut you. And also, like, they don't care that much about what you're working on. Of course, there's unique examples where if a player says, I'll play for you guys, and he's really, really good and wants to play a specific position, I'm sure that they'll work with that. But if he doesn't perform, I'm pretty sure they'll just say, hey, not going to work here. Like It is very important to win out there. It's not just about getting the reps for a lot of these guys. And this is the main season for some of these guys out there. So I do think that's part of it. But it is interesting that almost every single game except for two, Caminero has played the hot corner. And there are some talks about potential trades. And we could see Isak Paredes moved. I think that's something that has been floated. We talked about that on the Just Baseball show just the other day about kind of what that could look like. And I think when you look at the corner infield situation for the Rays, it makes sense to probably move Paredes over a Rosarena. If they do that, they still have a glut of options, and and I would say exciting options, on that left side of the infield. You have Caminero, who I think projects obviously best at third. You could plug in at short to try to get you by if Walls or Basave aren't playing well, but again, he hasn't really got a ton of reps there even in the Winter League now, so I do think that the focus is for him to play third. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Meade and even Austin Shenton and then Taylor Walls, Basabe, what the entire infield dynamic is going to look like. And then, of course, if they don't trade Isak Paredes, then it gets even more interesting. But I do think, even though it's a small sample, what Caminero is doing is 
got to continue to instill confidence in the Rays front office that he's ready to take on a important role with this team at the big league level next year. And I, I think they need that upside. I really do. Because if you look at what they're probably going to roll out there, especially if they do trade Paredes, on the left side, it's a bit limited power-wise if you are not rolling out Caminero and you start him in AAA. You, you'd have Curtis Mead, who I do think has power potential, but it's really more doubles and, you know, I would say feel to hit an approach over game power at this point. And if you're subtracting 31 home runs from that lineup, I think Caminero is probably the only guy you could look at Brandon Lau as well, just a healthy season of Brandon Lau, who could really make that up next year. I think with Caminero, we may have a Jordan Walker type of situation here where the team's probably going to say, our tentative plan is probably to put you in Durham, but if you really show out in spring training, we are very open to the idea of you starting at the big league level if you make it an easy decision for us. And with the momentum that he's building right now in the Lydum, being able to kind of segue that right into a hot start at spring training and a really good showing there in the game settings and in camp and, and just everything overall – there may be a situation here where Caminero forces the Rays' hand, so it should be really fun. But what he's doing in the Winter League only helps his case and I think only helps his chances of having a strong spring training showing overall. Another guy who could potentially force the hand of his big league club is Jackson Chorio of the Milwaukee Brewers, who is not playing as stiff of competition in the Venezuelan League, but I frankly don't really care because his numbers would be absurd pretty much anywhere you look and of course just another player who is playing much older competition is really one of the younger guys on his ball club and looks like one of the older and more comfortable players that you're watching out there only 18 game sample here but if you include the all-star game that he just appeared in where he went two for two in these 18 games he has slashed 397 468 544 that's in a 1012 ops and i think most notably Walking at a 9% clip, only striking out at a 10% clip. So even if the, I think, competition level is lesser than what you're going to see in some of these other winter leagues and lesser than what he sees maybe on a day-in and day-out basis in AAA, I don't really care because these numbers are absurd and he was really good down the second half of last season. And this just continues to bolster the narrative that something clicked for Chorio right around July and he really has not looked back since. And I was so impressed with him when I was able to see him in person in Nashville that was at the AAA level, even battling in at-bats against Sandy Alcantara in in a rehab start. So if you include what he's done in the Venezuelan League and really date it back to his last 75 games... Which brings us back to July 6th. He has slashed 337, 396, 547 with 13 homers. He's a menace on the base paths and continues to develop the defense overall. But what's really impressive, I think, is the contact rates, really posting strong contact rates at 85% in zone, continuing to cut down on the whiff, continuing to cut down on the Ks, and hopefully building on the ability to drive the ball in the air. But that said, he doesn't need to do it as much as a junior Camonero or some of these other prospects because he absolutely flies. I had him at some of the more absurd run times to first base as I've had really ever uh, in person, at least so far. I mean, he was able to get out of the box with certain swings and, and post sub four times pretty easily. And another important aspect about this is that he's exclusively playing center field, which 
was something that he didn't do as much of when he got to AAA for that cup of coffee because that outfield was obviously pretty busy out there. Weimer was back down there. They also had Garrett Mitchell trying to work his way back off of injury and, and other pieces there too. So it was more of a right field situation for those handful of games. But we did see him mostly play center field in double A. That said, he can just use all the reps he can get in center field, continue to prove that he can stick there, which I think he has every ounce of the tools and ability to, just needs to improve his reads, his routes, and his efficiency. And that's something that just comes with reps. So nice to see him really almost only playing center field and almost never taking days off as a DH. He's pretty much in center field every single day because I think the team is probably just as eager for him to get those center field reps, if not more than the offensive reps. Of course, Chorio signed that record-breaking pre-arb deal not too long ago this offseason, right around the first week of December, so just a few weeks ago. Eight years, $82 million, the largest a player has ever signed for, the most money a player has ever signed for prior to their big league debut, which is absolutely absurd and something that I actually love to see because you want to see some of these young, exciting stars stick with their teams, at least for a little bit, and not just run out their years of control, team can't afford to keep them, and they go. Perhaps the fact that the Brewers are already paying Chorio a a decent chunk of money, and obviously it's going to be progressively going up on the back end of the deal, but still, his pre-arb and arbitration is bought out already. He's set to make $2 million in base salary next season, whether he's in the big leagues or not. That jumps up to $4 million in 2025. Again, whether he's in the big leagues or not. So there's really not much reason to not be aggressive with him. And you know he's going to be up at some point in 2024. This is where the prospect promotion incentive that was in the new collective bargaining agreement really, really comes into play. And we saw that already with Julio Rodriguez who skipped AAA altogether, making the jump from AA to the opening day roster and earning his team a first-round pick, basically, by winning Rookie of the Year. So I think that might be something that's in the minds of the Milwaukee Brewers at this point, and it's not an entire skip of AAA because Chorio did get a cup of coffee there, did show well even in that series, then puts up these video game numbers in the Venezuelan League, and I think with the Brewers, they really would like that draft pick, right? That's a team that likes to operate and maximize their assets and really operates very similar to the Rays and even the Mariners at times with being able to just try to accumulate prospects, trade players at the peak of their value and manage it like a hedge fund a little bit, whether the Brewers like to admit it or not. There's a reason why we are seeing them kind of pre-arb guys like Chorio and then potentially trade guys like Corbin Burns and not really extend a lot of the veterans that have been a part of you know their core for the last few years. Willie Adamas seems like he's on his way out as well. So get that pick. Be aggressive with him. If it doesn't work out and you don't get the pick, oh well, it's fine. You can always send him back down to work on things in AAA. I don't think that Chorio is the type of guy that would really be adversely affected by an aggressive promotion because he just seems to be able to acclimate and adapt. And if he can't, I think it's important to be able to expose some of the things that may not have been exposed even in AAA at the big league level so that he can go back to AAA and work on those things there. So I do think that there's a really strong case for Chorio potentially to break in with the Brewers early in the season. Almost talked myself into it more as I talked through this segment. And I do wonder if the Brewers decide to be aggressive with him. They do have a crowded outfield. There are a bunch of different guys there that could end up taking some at-bats and some starts. But Chorio is the crown jewel. He's the guy that they just paid $80 million. And they could end up swapping a Garrett Mitchell, swapping some of these other guys that may not fit into the plans as much as a 
blue chip prospect like Chorio does. So another name to watch as he parlays that strong winter league showing into momentum that could really get him going in camp and in spring training. Could Chorio be another guy that really benefits from the new prospect promotion incentive and really uses that winter league to help catapult him into a big league role on opening day? On the flip side, it's been a struggle for Marco Luciano of the San Francisco Giants, a guy that probably has the most direct path to an everyday role out of the three names that we talked about here on the open, but maybe the least ready to shoulder a big league role and really big league responsibility as is. I'm not saying that off of a 17-game sample in the Winter League, but he's there for a reason. He's there to work on some things. He's there to continue to get reps at shortstop. I thought he looked like an average defender there. Another guy that we talked about in the last Just Baseball show, we played GM for the Giants as well. And a big topic of it was, hey, I think they need to go find a stopgap or at least an insurance policy. If you don't want to swing big and go get a higher upside, you know, bigger impact shortstop for one year like a Willie Adamas because you don't want to just straight up block Marco Luciano. I get that. But I think they may need to look into a Kyle Farmer who could be that insurance policy because this is just more of the same. And again, I know it's just 17 games. It honestly should be more games. He's not playing now at this point because he's on Escojido. Same team as Junior Caminero and Eric Gonzalez. And again, they want to win. They are not going to give Marco Luciano at bats over Eric Gonzalez and or a Junior Caminero just because he's a highly touted prospect or because he was once the the number one overall draft pick in that Lydum draft and eventually traded over to Escojido. But if you don't perform... They are not going to play you as much, and it has not been pretty for Marco Luciano. And I had some concerns at the end of last year. I I thought he was not really ready for a big league opportunity. They didn't really have any other options, the Giants. So they end up pushing Luciano up there. And, you know, I thought he showed some good things with the glove, which was encouraging in terms of being able to say, hey, I, I can at least be a big league average shortstop here. But I thought with the bat, it's just the same old questions. Too much whiff. Can he recognize spin? Is he really ever going to be able to hit enough? And then you get these 17 games in the winter league. Again, I know it's 17 games. It's a small sample. And I don't know why he hasn't played since the 26th. I tried to do some digging into that. I I was not able to find out exactly why. It doesn't seem like it's an injury. I think we'd know about that. So I do wonder if he's just kind of been phased out of the lineup a little bit because he continued to see his playing time dwindle a bit. It started to become a matter of him just kind of slipping in the lineup. His first couple games, he was batting third. Everybody was really excited. He had two hits. He walked twice. Then he walked three more times in the next game. And then it was pretty much just downhill from there. Started to slip to the five spot in the lineup, then the six spot, then the eight spot, then the nine spot. And then we didn't really see him hit at all. We haven't seen him play since the 26th. In those 17 games, he hit 170 to get on base at a 340 clip. And with a 255 slug. So that's eight for 47 with just two extra base hits, 18 strikeouts, and 12 walks. So 30% K rate, 20% walk rate. You know that that walk rate's not going to be matched against AAA and big league competition. And that strikeout rate has the potential to only get worse. I don't think you look at 17 games in a vacuum and say, okay, Luciano's not ready. Let's go make a trade. That's not really the issue. But I wanted to see something different in these however many games. I wanted to see 
at least a tangible adjustment with Luciano. Maybe there's some adjustments in the box to be able to be a little bit more fluid, be a little bit more adjustable, make more contact, be more consistent with his timing. It all kind of looked the same, right? It looked like the same swing, the same challenges, and the same mistakes that are being made at bat to at bat. And that was the case in his 18 games in AAA before they brought him up to the big league level. He struck out 36% of the time there, hit 209. I would even argue in AA it was a lot of the same. 30% strikeout rate there, hit 228, and it was a lot of these same concerns. I just don't know if this guy is going to hit enough. I love the raw power. He is still just 22. Maybe it should just be one of those situations where you look at how many at-bats he's had in his professional career, which is not that many for a guy that has been around as long as he's been around because of injuries and, and other circumstances, and of course COVID, when that was kind of that on the backfields was when he made his big statement with that big home run off of Ryan Rollison and the hype started to build from there. He had already had some hype, but it really started to take off from there with that 118 mile per hour bomb. But I do think really since then, it's been a lot of ups and downs and I think a lot more of the red flag shining than really the positive end of of what we've been looking for in Marco Luciano. And I just would have liked to have seen some sort of tangible adjustment. He just looked a really rushed at the plate in all the at-bats. I crushed through every single at-bat that we had in the Winter League. Everything just looked very rushed there for him. And then you look at the in-zone whiff numbers out there, it's been pretty brutal. I mean, his zone contact rate, small sample, I get it. But he saw 130 fastballs in those games, and he swung through the fastballs that were in the zone at a 38% clip. So think about that. That's an in-zone contact rate of 62% on fastballs that are going to be lower in velocity and generally just not feature as much life and shape. The average velocity of the fastballs that he's been seeing out there is about 92 and a half. So it's a tick below, a tick and a half below what he's going to see in the big leagues. And the shape's not as good either. Similar with numbers on sliders and basically everything else. So it just seems like more of the same. And that's the frustrating part of it. I do wonder if the Giants look at these 17 games, then kind of wait to see what they get in camp. And I assume it's going to be kind of more of the same struggles. And then you piece it all together. And then all of a sudden you have enough here to work with where you're like, OK, maybe he's not ready. Right. I don't really think it's fair to assess him on the 18 games in AAA alone. I don't think it is at all. I don't think it's fair to assess him on the 14 games at the big league level alone especially in your debut. That's not fair either. I don't think it's fair to assess him on the 17 games in the Winter League alone. I don't think it's fair to even assess him just on the 56 games in AA. But you put all of those things together, and I think it's fair to say, hey, I don't think this guy is necessarily ready for a big league role going into 2024, at least at the start of the season. There needs to be some adjustments. There needs to be some things changing. And I would love to know exactly why he's been phased out of the lineup. My best guess right now is that it had to do with performance, kind of emphasizing the I would say most consistent point of this podcast, which is they want to win out there, man. And he was 0 for 19 with nine strikeouts up until we stopped seeing him really make any appearances of late for Escojido. So it is interesting, something to monitor. And I am a bit concerned for him going into camp. Again, he's 22. He could spend the whole year in the minor leagues totally fine. But I think that might end up potentially being the best thing for him at this point because he really hasn't pieced together a full season where we have seen him really consistently flash the ability that he has. 
We're going to go rapid fire through about five or six more names, maybe a few more, depending on my timing here in just a moment. But before that, a quick break. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's break into as many prospects as we can and try to highlight as many stat lines and kind of state of where they're at within their organization as we can. One player that's extremely fascinating to me, and I'm very eager to, to see really what the Cardinals' plan is, given you know, kind of the, the state of their big league roster and just kind of how filled up they are in the infield, is, is Cesar Prieto. And he should almost surely start the year in AAA. And I think if he continues to perform, though, could force the Cardinals' hand as potentially a trade chip. Would be unfortunate to see him traded again for his sake, but also it would be fortunate if it's an opportunity to go play a little bit more. He was traded from an organization in the Orioles that had a litany of middle infield types and he's mostly a second baseman can fill in at short or third in a pinch but I think really projects best at second base traded over to the Cardinals in that Flaherty deal if I remember correctly and what's interesting is he did kind of struggle after switching over to Memphis from Norfolk which is unique I don't necessarily know why but sometimes just being traded and having your routine upended and just being in a different park, a different environment more consistently. It happens a lot, even if it's in the same league and, and at the same level. Sometimes that, that just seems to be something that that happens. And I've I've definitely picked up on that trend as, as prospects have been traded. But we had 27 games in Norfolk where he slashed 317, 365, 471. And then 38 games in Memphis with St. Louis where he slashed 270, 314, 387. So power took a bit of a hit. That could be park dependent for sure, but still, that's a noticeable drop from the slugging and just overall power perspective. That said, that's never really going to be a big part of his game. He's he's definitely hit over power and has a fantastic field to hit. Posted ridiculous contact rates last year. If you pretty much include all the levels that he played at, you would get his own contact rate right around 89%. That's including the trade and, and even that slower stretch with Memphis. That's very impressive. The one thing that he definitely needs to cut down on and was something I'm monitoring is that chase rate that hovered right around 37, 38%. But in his 12 games, again, small sample size, but in his 12 games in the winter league, 
he seemed to just be a little bit more comfortable in terms of working at bats, getting deeper into counts, and working his walks. Nearly as, or the same amount of walks as strikeouts, seven walks, seven Ks, and has really put up some strong numbers in those 12 games 292, 382, 458 slash line. The patience being a big key for me there and, and something that was good to see. And I'm interested to see if he can continue to build on that going into next season because when you look at the OPS potential, most of that's going to be on the back of on base percentage rather than slugging. Yes, he could fill in with a lot of doubles, plenty of singles, and just I think, again, it's going to be really on the field to hit. And then beyond that, if you want to be able to get that OPS up higher, it's going to be from the walking that he's going to hopefully be able to do at a better clip to bolster that offensive profile. Defensively, he's moved back and forth from second and third base, which is a little bit of a tip, I guess, to see where he's mostly going to play next year. It seems like it's going to be more of the same of second and third base. After the trade, he did seem to play a lot of games consecutively at second and then a lot of games consecutively at third. And at the end, it was a little bit of back and forth, but it seemed like they wanted him playing either a week straight to second base or a week straight to third base for the most part, which was interesting. And then now he's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So having that comfort of moving around the infield more consistently, because ultimately he's probably going to be a utility type at the big league level whose value is really built on the field to hit, hopefully an improved ability to get on base and some defensive versatility. Another contact-oriented infielder, but a bit younger, and I think with a bit more upside, is Jared Serna of the Yankees, who, first of all, just need to tip the cap to Serna, who has just put in the work this year. This guy is trying to climb up the ranks and is doing everything he can from a reps perspective that I think is almost egregious how many games he's played this year. It's been absolutely remarkable, but Serna... 21 years old, sneaky pop from the right side for a 5'7", you know, kind of punchy lever type of hitter that, again, those punchy levers help him make more contact than hit for power. But 19 home runs, he hit all of those in his 95 games at low A Tampa and did not hit any home runs in his 27 games in high A Hudson Valley. Some of that may be the fact that Hudson Valley is actually a little bit less home run friendly and also just being a 21 year old making the leap to to high a and I think he was kind of league average age wise in low a and just feasted on less experienced hitters regardless or excuse me less experienced pitchers regardless between those two levels 122 games he slashed 284 350 463 those 19 homers 29 bags and played all over the infield Serna has done more of the same now in the Mexican league so I would say probably, and again, don't quote me on this, my my guess is that it's somewhere between the Venezuelan League and the Lydum, the Lydum being, I think, kind of just in its own league in terms of the Winter League level of competition. But the Mexican League can be tough for a 21-year-old. And going back to the original point that I made about just him being an absolute grinder, he's already played 176 games this year. If you combine the 50 that he's played in the Mexican League, in addition to the regular season games he played at low A and high A, and then some postseason games as well. I mean, that's insane. 176 games in one year, and he's not done <laughs> with a season. He's not done at all. It's really been awesome to see what he's doing, though, in, in those 50 games in the Mexican League, where he's slashed 296, 351, 452. The doubles power really showing up there with a dozen of those mixed in a triple and five homers. Really patient at the plate, working his walks, not striking out. 
and looking like the guy who he looked like in low A, which was really encouraging to see and has been encouraging to see so far. He didn't look bad in high A by any means, but it was nice to see him rebuild and continue to look like that low A guy and show that I could be ready for high A next year and put up those same numbers that I put up in Tampa and Hudson Valley through the first half of the season with a chance to get up to double A. The other interesting aspect of what Saren has been doing out there is the fact that he's been playing a lot at shortstop, which I don't have a ton of video available from the, the Mexican League, but I do think it's encouraging to see that he's just getting consistent reps out there. If he's even able to play shortstop in a pinch, that does help his profile as a utility guy. And even more so, he's played a lot of left, more so in the beginning of the season with Jalisco, but still playing left every I would say once or twice a week at the very least. So he's playing shortstop, he's playing second, he's playing left. And if he can play the outfield as well, now you can almost elevate this to super utility type because he has the offensive ability to potentially be a regular and then now has the ability to play the outfield, the infield, potentially shortstop in a pinch. I'm very eager to break into the defensive video of Serna next season and see where the Yankees mostly play him because that'll give us a little bit of an idea of what their plans are with him. But the fact that he is holding his own in the outfield and doing all of these different things, right? Playing a lot of shortstop, playing a lot of second base, playing left, playing a little bit of third, really moving around all over and maintaining this offensive ability is extremely encouraging. On somewhat of the opposite end of the spectrum, a player who was pretty disappointing in the Lydum was Jonathan Classe of the Seattle Mariners, center fielder. Also played a little bit of left for them, but I think really projects well and can go get it in center field. Small sample here, but there's a correlation between these small samples and struggles because either team wants to win, as we've mentioned, and they go to another option, or the big league club for whatever prospect we're talking about here, or in this instance, may want to shut it down because if you're struggling to the degree that a Jonathan Classe did, you almost don't want to further any bad habits that could be created and, and really stifle the confidence of a player. Sometimes you just get out there, the crowds are big, the pressure is high, you're young, Classe is 21 years old, and it just starts to become a lot for you and it starts to pile up and pile up and pile up. And that's what it seemed to be for Classe. And it seemed like the decision was to just kind of call it at about 16 games where he hit 100 that's four for 40 with 12 strikeouts and four walks this was something that I was I was kind of afraid would happen because this was such an intriguing season from class a where he was phenomenal in high a kind of taking the minor leagues by storm through the first couple months being among the, the leaders in stolen bases hitting home runs showcasing this really pretty swing from especially the left side, but both sides of the plate at times. And we're like, okay, what do we have here with Jonathan Class A? What can this guy be? Center fielder, switch hitter, sneaky pop, really gets into it because he sells out for lift and can really steal bags and do all these different things. I'm fascinated, and I still am fascinated, but he gets a double A, and all of a sudden that very lofty swing and it's it's lofty I mean it's I would say one of the most lofty I've seen in terms of launch angle and you just look at the bat path it started to get chewed up a little bit more in the Texas League against a lot of pitching staffs you think about the Tulsa Drillers you think about Northwest Arkansas you think about some of these other teams that he had to face kind of day in and day out and for big stretches all of a sudden you're like okay these are a lot of high carry fastballs that are chewing him up at the top of the zone and I think that started to kind of get him pressing a little bit, started to force him to 
overthink and try to make these adjustments on the fly and compounded some of the issues. And I think that's what the Mariners were probably trying to mitigate by potentially stopping his his winter league there. I don't know if they did that. I don't know if it came from Toros as well, potentially just saying, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're four for 40. Uh, we got other options here. I'm not sure how it all went down, but at the end of the day, he was hitting in the nine hole and it just didn't really go well for him. So it's something to monitor going into next year because the challenges in double A compounded with some challenges here in the winter league. Let's see if he can shake that off going into next year and presumably getting his second stint of double A ball where he can work on some things and continue to build on some of the very good that we saw last year and some of the unfortunately bad that we saw last year. In the video I was able to see from Class A in the Lydum, and again, it's it's challenging competition for a 21-year-old who is a switch hitter and just made the jump up to double A and, and had that slower finish to the season. He didn't look as blatantly overmatched, I think, as even Marco Luciano looked at times, and I know the numbers are, are even worse, but he just didn't seem like he was totally getting blown up, whereas it just seemed like pitchers were getting in on him and he was not able to barrel them. He was putting the ball in play. It wasn't late swings where it's almost in the catcher's mitt before the bat's even getting through the zone, but it was a lot of weak contact. It was you know, a, a lot of, I would say, kind of B swings and counts where you should be trying to get your A swing off, and that to me is a guy that's probably pressing a little bit overanalyzing in the box a little bit. And then the the crowd and the emphasis on winning and all that stuff can really co- cause that to compound. So I'm not overly concerned about Class A, but I am fascinated to see how he bounces back in his second stint in A, presumably next season with the Mariners. Going back now to a couple players who should see some big league action at some point this year. It's just kind of where they fit in and whether the big league club can find some some room for them or if, of course, unfortunately, injuries happen. Alexander Canario of the Chicago Cubs, a player that I know Cubs fans were hoping to see a little bit more of at the big league level. He got called up. His at-bats were few and far between, put up great numbers, and has consistently over the last couple years put up really good numbers in the upper minors. But we're just kind of waiting to see what he could do at the big league level. And I know Cubs fans kind of felt like we didn't get to find that out last year. He has struggled somewhat in in the Winter League so far, and I'm not overly concerned about it because we've seen him put up really good numbers in the the upper minors over the last couple years, as I mentioned, and also had that injury out there in the Winter League last year. But what's interesting to me is that he is getting blown up by fastballs a little bit from what what I've been able to see in these 16 games. Numbers not as bad as some of the other players that I've put in the struggling bucket having a 670 OPS at 246, but the power not being there is a bit surprising. The fastballs getting in on him the way that they are is, is pretty surprising. Big whiff in the zone in a lot of the games that I've seen so far from Canario. Could just be a timing thing, just could be a little bit out of sync. It's not really enough at bats for me to say anything of major note because he put up that 866 OPS in 36 games in AAA despite that huge layoff after the injury in the Winter League last year. He put up video game numbers in 2022 with a 899 OPS and 37 home runs between high A, double A, and triple A that season as well. So you had the numbers in 2022 across three levels. You had the numbers in 36 games in AAA last year, although with a fair amount of swing and miss. Still, there is that overall concern that he just may not consistently make contact at the big league level. The Winter League doesn't really have much bearing one way or another on that because, honestly, the metrics are somewhat similar to, to what we've seen. The end zone whiff rate's always been high for him on fastballs. It's always been a around 70% zone contact rate 
on fastballs and when they get elevated even more so of a challenge. The thing that I am kind of keying in on here with Canario is that he is still struggling to lay off those pitches. I know that he's going to swing and miss at fastballs. I think the Cubs know that he's going to swing and miss at fastballs. They also know he's going to run into fastballs. He's going to run into breaking balls and he has the power to hit a lot of home runs. When I'm looking at a player like him out there. I know he's going to swing and miss at some fastballs. I know the ball may not get out as consistently as it does in double A, triple A, or even in the big leagues out there in the Dominican. But I want to see that chase rate go down. And he has really been expanding the zone out there. And that's more of my concern. That's more of the thing that I want to monitor is if you're going to succeed at the big league level where it's all about high carry fastballs, guys trying to get you to chase at the top of the zone, you got to show that you will lay off that and make the pitcher's job a little bit more difficult. So far out there, he has been chasing above a 30% clip on those fastballs and just to seem to struggle to lay off that. And that's the one thing I want to monitor. Defensively, it's been the corners for him, left and right. And that's pretty much what we can come to expect. And that's where he's probably going to settle in. So not much to note on the defensive side, other than the fact that he's put a little bit more right. And I do like him more in right field. It'll be interesting to see how the Cubs handle him going into next year. I think he's kind of that insurance policy. I think if things are going right for the Cubs, he's not playing too much or he's a trade chip. But that is something to monitor, at least going into the season, is can he at least finally be able to cut down on that high chase rate on fastballs, maybe hedge some of the whiff there as well. And I think that's part of the reason why we did not see him get a ton of action with the Cubs last year, even when he was called up to the big leagues, kind of sitting on the bench. Popular Rule 5 draft target Troy Johnston is also a player that's now just going out to the Winter League in the Dominican, which is really fun because he's playing the outfield. And part of the reason why I think Troy Johnston was not selected in the Rule 5 obviously had nothing to do with his numbers. He was fantastic last season, which I'll get to that in a second. But the defensive questions, he's a guy that played all of his games at first base last year or DH, and he did play a little bit of outfield in the past, but it was all first base last year. And Even then, there were some struggles defensively. He did play some outfield the year before, and that was kind of the year that he really started to burst onto the scene offensively. And I really wanted to see the Marlins play him in the outfield a bit more, especially because they may have an opening in either corner outfield spot, potentially. We're going to see how the Marlins operate. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade Jesus Sanchez, if they trade some of their younger big league pieces to replenish this farm system. I would not be shocked if Peter Bendix operates that way. And it might be a long year for the Marlins. And if it is a long year, you might as well see what you got. Troy Johnson, you don't need him at first now. You got Josh Bell. You could ultimately, when Josh Bell hits free agency, move Jake Berger over to first base because he's not the best third baseman. And it just makes more sense now, takes a little bit more pressure off the bat if Troy Johnson can just play a serviceable left field. We'll see. What he did prove that he could do is hit. And he broke out in the power department on another level, but also just hit really well. Between double A AA and triple A, 305, 397, 547 slash line, 944 OPS, 26 home runs, some sneaky pop to the pull side. I don't think that he's going to have 25 home run power at the big leagues, probably closer to 15 to 20, maybe could just sneak over 20. And that's going to put more pressure on the field to hit and where he plays defensively. That doesn't play as well at first base unless you're hitting over 300 or hitting in the high 200s. But it does play a little bit better in left if you can even play just average defense. He'll join Toros del Este and we'll see how the defense looks. I think it's probably a reach for it to be average. But even if it's fringy, if it's fringy defense, 
think the Marlins could use that. They've had some really bad defense in the corners, and obviously they can always use offensive help. So it'll be fun to see how he plays out there, if he can continue to build defensively out there and turn into at least something serviceable. Because if he does... On the defensive side of things, he's already shown enough on the offensive side to earn an opportunity with the Marlins as early as opening day, depending on what roster moves they make, or early in the season uh, this coming year. One last note, I'd be remiss if I did not talk about Ronnie Mauricio, who unfortunately tore his ACL. The Mets prospect is probably going to factor in some way this coming season, depending on what they were planning to do with him, whether it was left field, third base, depending on Beatty, whatever it may be, second base. I think he had an opportunity waiting for him, or at least was going to have the opportunity to win a decent-sized role with the Mets potentially next season, just off of some of the things that he flashed in his big league cameo that we saw at the end of the year. In his eight games before tearing his ACL, he was unbelievable for Lysi. He was 15 for 34. It's a 441 batting average. He has a home run, two triples, two doubles, and had two stolen bases. Only three strikeouts and two walks in those 36 plate appearances. I mean, the guy was just playing phenomenally. And unfortunately, trying to kind of cut or go back and forth on the bases and his knee just gave out on him. It's really unfortunate because Mauricio, we've kind of been waiting for him to get the consistent big league opportunity. He was really showing well through stretches in AAA last year. And then I mean, when he didn't get called up, almost was frustrated with the fact that he was still stuck in AAA and still forced his way up there. And again, like I said, showed some good things and then was off to such a good start to the season in winter ball. Wish him a speedy recovery and Fortunately, just 22 years old still, even though it feels like we've been talking about Ronnie Mauricio, the prospect forever. That'll do it for this episode. We're going to have Cubs top prospects on Thursday or Friday. Looking forward to breaking that down alongside Jack. A fun little programming note as well. In the next couple days, we are going to be uploading pretty much all of the video that we got from the Arizona Fall League live looks, open side swings, some mechanics of different pitchers. Everything that we were seeing, you'll be able to see on a lot of the key prospects. That'll be on the call-up YouTube within the next couple days, and definitely go check that out. I'll have the call-up YouTube linked in the podcast description, and if you could leave a rating, help us grow the show, I would really appreciate that as well. Really excited about all of the content that we're going to have coming your way throughout this offseason with the Team Top Prospect lists, the Top 100 update for 2024, player interviews, and all that good stuff. Looking forward to talking Cubs prospects with you later this week. As always, thank you for listening. Talk to you Thursday or Friday. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.